Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. I am beyond stoked to share this guest with you today. Um, This is someone who's been very important to me, very special in my life, and it might make him feel awkward to hear that because he did not know. Um, But he was someone who was divinely appointed and arrived in my life when I was going through one of the greatest spiritual challenges and spiritual growth periods that I have experienced in my life to date. My guest today is an ex-evangelical vocational pastor and self-proclaimed spiritual nomad with a passion for connecting people. He's a good shepherd for seekers, piecing together a spiritual identity after leaving exclusive faith traditions. The founder of Spiritual Nomad Podcast, he's working on creating a collaborative faith community that strives for the common good in our communities and leads all of us towards a better, whole, and healed version of not just ourselves, but the world. Welcome to the show, Luke Bricker. Hi. Thank you so much. Such kind words. You are so, um, you are so inspiring to me. And I, I want to just throw out his Instagram right off out the gate here, you guys. Go check out at the underscore spiritual underscore nomad on Instagram. Every single day, this guy is serving up and dishing out thought-provoking um, content that really helps me to expand in self-awareness and spiritual awareness and um, just reframe some of the, what I've considered pillars of my spirituality for many years. Um, So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being that person for me. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I don't know, man. I was just doing it. Um, Thing, you know, so. So tell us a little bit about, about you. What's your background? You're, you're in California now. You're, um, you're a vocational pastor. You also have a day job. How did you get here? We're going to be talking about deconstructing and reconstructing spirituality on our own terms, but I'd love to hear a little bit about where you came from and who you yeah. are. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm a pastor's kid and um, was born into a church plant for I lack a better term. It's just like a, a church startup. Um, and my dad's been a church planter with a particular m- church movement called the Vineyard. And they're kind of more charismatic, if any of your listeners are uh, familiar with that term. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was born into church and Christianity and spirituality and even more of like a uh, transcendent sort of spirituality. That'd be probably my word, not necessarily the word used in the circle that I've come from. But um, really in a place that is more open to a spirit, very spiritual side of Christianity. So uh, I'm thankful for that. But as I grew up, my dad became more influenced by 
evangelicalism, a lot of the Western church, mega church mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his favorite people are like, you know, Rick Warren, who wrote like the purpose driven life, if people are familiar with that. So Andy Stanley, um, you know, Bill Hybels for people I'm from the come from the Midwest. So Chicago, if people are familiar with that area. So it became a lot less about spirituality and about um, Holy Spirit stuff and more so just about sheer just church growth and, and, um, you know, good kind of like early Ted talk stuff that was happening, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, so that's the environment that I grew up in is very, you know, uh, organizational mindset of church, um, less sort of a spiritual faith community. Um, so for me, I grew up in that. I didn't want anything to do with church, actually, in my teen years. So I've always kind of rebelled against all of that. Uh, typical pastor's kid stuff, you know, like. <laughs> what does that mean? You were smoking weed and like hanging yeah. out down at the corner store? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's actually exactly what was happening. You okay, know? So, cool. You know, yeah, all the all kind of the stuff that's like, you know, where's Luke at? Yeah, like, you know, with, you know, some chick down wherever and, you know, smoking and whatever. So, um, and I was also like really a part, I was, I'm a musician. And so part of that was like the exposure to, to like the underground music scene. So that's, that was kind of my life from like age 12, to like 20, 21. Uh, I was playing more in the heavier genre of music. And so I didn't want anything to do with church. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was 15, my dad asked me kind of the standard dad question, like, Hey, what do you want to do with your life? What are you, what are you thinking about? You know, you're in high school now. And he's like, what would you think about taking over the church one day? And at that time, the church is about 3000 people strong, five services on a weekend. It's a big church. Uh, yeah. It was a big church and you know, they experienced a lot of growth. And, uh, I was at the time I was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. I will never be a pastor or anything of the likes period ever. And so I kind of, you know, wrote my own fate right there at 15. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so the universe was like, yeah, that's funny. So, uh, fast forward around 21, I kind of uh, had an experience where I was coming back into, uh, a desire for, God and church and things like that. There was some time in my teen years that some unique things happened, but um, really started to experience a vocational call, if you will. Um, I was then the youth pastor. So I became the youth pastor at the church, um, did that. And then at 26, uh, and this is in Indianapolis, Indiana, mind you. So I'm very far from Oceanside at that mm-hmm. point in time. And I wanted to move to San Diego and start a church of my own. I wanted to plant the church. And in reality, um, the pressure was really high to take over the church that I was being, uh, you know, a youth pastor. Um, mm-hmm. And frankly, I just didn't want that. I had a lot of different values. I had, um, I'm very different from my dad in many ways, uh, more so on a theological level and even a practice level. Mm-hmm. And And I knew that if I was going to do anything there, it would just still be under like a heavy hand. And so, and frankly, I just have never felt at home in the Midwest. You know, Um, I was born in Miami. And then when I was young, we moved to Indianapolis. And I just, I don't know, I just never felt like that was right. And so um, I had a desire to move to Southern California, have some family here and um, decided to come here to plant a church. And that's how I ended up here. And that's a little bit just the, the, 
really brief piece of like the, the nuts and bolts of my story of how I ended up three blocks away from you right now recording this. <laughs> so, so Luke, when you were growing up in the church, did you believe in Jesus? And in his, if, well, let me just have you answer that. Did you believe in Jesus? Sure. Um, well, of course, because that was what I was born into, you know, uh, not to mention being just simply born in America, uh, in the Midwest, growing up in the Midwest, even, uh, and then my dad is a pastor, like, sure, I, I believed in Jesus and, and had to uh, come to terms with that on my own, even at a young age. But, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I sincerely did um, from a young age, and then really became very passionate about believing in Jesus um, in my early 20s. Uh, conservatively um, a Jesus follower and really uh, following a pretty rigorous tradition um, that's referred to as Calvinism uh, in the Reformed Church. Your listeners may already be <laughs> not stoked on hearing any more after that, but uh, I progressed from there. So, you know, so it'll be interesting because like, as you know, I mean, we only connected probably about a year ago. So you were not witnessing the year prior to that or the years prior to that. But um, I did not grow up. I grew up attending occasionally a Unitarian Universalist church, which is like a very really? liberal, yeah, very liberal Christian church, pretty liberal Christian church. Yeah, um, you is definitely liberal for sure. Um, and, but but my dad didn't dig church. My mom did, but we, it was always divided. I would go with my mom to church. My sister and my dad would stay home. And so I got confirmed and I got a Bible when I was like eight. And I was really excited about that because I had to memorize, um, you know, a piece of scripture and I got to stand up on stage with a microphone. That was really what I was excited about. Let's be real. Um, yeah, I was like, amazing. And then after that, it was kind of like nothing. My teen years, I went, I swung really hard against Christianity. And my, my perspective was I was interested in Hinduism and Buddhism and, um, you know, Wicca and, and anything else really besides Christianity. But I, I had this opinion that Christianity was extremely parochial. It was really narrow. It was really judgmental. And I was like, that's just not for me. And so it was a hard no. And then, um, around 21, I was deep in the like uh, sugar baby, kind of almost borderline prostitution, drug addiction, really, really dark years. Mm. And I met somebody who asked me why I didn't believe in God. And I said, you know, if God is real, why do I feel empty? And he was like, well, if you feel empty, it means there's that you could be filled, you know, a glass isn't empty by definition, unless it can be filled. So it, I went into a period of exploring, um, exploring the idea that there is a God and that happened through prayer, through the hotline. Right. Yeah, and that yeah. led to me actually reading the Bible and the Bible came alive to me. And I had a really powerful conversion experience or I wouldn't even salvation experience, like with Jesus one-on-one -on -one in an empty hotel room. It was real. He was there the whole thing. Really? Um, and so I became a pretty devout believer. And what that looked like was, um, you know, leading young life and like kind of leading this dual life where I was still doing all this really dark stuff, but I was also showing up in a four square church every Sunday, which was also <laughs> a charismatic church, Totally leading young life and, and, um, and just like living this dual life and, and to make a huge story, very short, like I, I always was kind of walking this, this, razor's edge between like evangelical you know 
is 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 exclusionary Jesus the real Jesus? Is Jesus really the only way? And feeling like my community and the other people around me were like, yes, Jesus is the only way. Anything else you're hearing or believing or seeing is demonic. This is the only way. And um, so I actually was, you know, in that for kind of a long time, and it ebbed and flowed over the years. But uh, but the year before I met you, I facilitated a 200-hour yoga teacher training called Spirit-Led Yoga. Mm. And what my vision in that was was teaching the intersection of Christian theology and yoga philosophy. You know, drawing on some of the stuff Paramahansa Yogananda has done, and yeah. my own my own um, experience as well. As well, but what ended up happening was a really fearful environment that was like people, you know, wanting to fit a square peg in a round hole and people not wanting to learn about certain aspects of yoga, but wanting to just kind of appropriate what works for us and, and cover it all under Jesus. So yeah. I'm fascinated. And to all my listeners, I love you guys. And I hope you're interested, but I'm here <laughs> to have this conversation regardless, because for me, this idea of deconstructing and reconstructing our own faith it does eventually lead to where like maybe for some people it really does fit in a particular box and it really does work for them and everything lines up and they can read every piece of scripture from the bible and it 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 works and it aligns um that wasn't the case for me and yeah. part of the reason that i was so attracted to to you and to your story is like how can we be how can we have this deep abiding real relationship with with the person of Jesus and the, and Jesus the Christ and then also have this awakening of our own spiritual autonomy and agency yeah. and authority that doesn't seem to line up with so much scripture mm -hmm. and for me that was compounded by being a woman you know what i yes. mean like hey totally. what is going on here how can i have this relationship with God that I know is real and have it in this framework of Western Christianity. But then that oppresses me. Yeah. hundred <laughs> um, yeah. percent. So I don't know much about, you know, um, Calvinism or the, the reformation, but I want to hear a little bit more. I want to back up and hear a little bit more about the early church that you were involved in because you said it was charismatic. And I think that's important yeah. in the context of what you're experiencing in life now yeah. for people who don't know what a charismatic church is will you enlighten us as to what that term usually means yeah so simply stating a charismatic church and the word you know charisma is just to be you know filled with the spirit right so it's just meaning that somebody is passionate they're in tune to a um some would say a spirit within, as I would say, or some would say a spirit that is around that will come in and fill us. Uh, charismatic churches are very Holy Spirit-led. Uh, they're less concerned about, you know, if people are doing the rightness of like an Orthodox church service, or they're less concerned about the person preaching the Bible if they have all the right degrees. Rather, if somebody has a um, an anointing on them or a you know a power about them, they're that's pretty much like your, your the main license in a charismatic church. Um, so yeah, charismatic churches are unique in their own because they are certainly Western Christian products. However, they still have a rootedness and a groundedness to a spirituality that is fluid and flexible. 
Uh, and so I find myself actually, ironically, within the past month, revisiting a lot of my charismatic Christian roots, mm-hmm. um, just because once you begin to explore more of an Eastern understanding of spirituality, you begin to see a little bit more of a correlation. Uh, and it, a lot of it comes down to me just for semantics. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And for those who, and, and I love how careful and thoughtful you are with your answers. And I'm going to be the one that is less of that. So I'll just say, <laughs> like, take this with a big grain of salt. But some of the more, I would say, negatively stereotyped things that might be associated with a charismatic church would be like holy rollers or like, um, yes. what is the thing? Like uh, being slain in the spirit or, you know, there's things yes. that are associated with that where people are having these really powerful spiritual experiences that are mystical or less less able to be explained by rational thought. Yeah. Um, and that definitely, you know, it, it, it can go a lot of different ways. But one of the things that um, was part of my walk was in a more charismatic church um, at the age of 26, I received my first prophetic word. Yeah. And it was a really pivotal experience that, that actually changed the entire course of my life. Mm. Um, and it was when I was really struggling with how can I love yoga and love yoga philosophy and be a yoga teacher and also love Jesus. I, I don't know how to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to. And I was in this church in Florida and I was praying. Um, I'd never been to the church before. A friend took me there. I was just visiting. And it was like this really funky church i thought it was funky i had like okay all charismatic churches are gonna be weird right there were people with flags and like it was it was weird and i was like this is weird and um we're doing a lot of worship and like so (laughs) it was a lady pastor which i thought was interesting and we were singing we're singing for a really long time and it was like i don't know we were singing the that's um, I really should have uh, identified charismatic churches by the negative, by the way, too. That probably would have been a little bit more helpful. So, well, I think it's good to have a little bit of both, you know, I was in there going, this is really weird. I've never been in a space like this, but I'm just going to trust my friend that brought me here and trust that God brought me here and just like, whatever, you know, feel it out. So I kind of went into my own meditative prayer. And it was, the prayer was just like, how do I do this, God? And I just want to love you. Ultimately, the prayer was, God, I just want to love you. I just want to serve you. I just want to be the woman that you want me to be. I just want to love you. I just want to love you. And it almost became like a mantra and I was repeating it over and over. Mm-hmm. And then I hear you and I'm, you know, my eyes are closed and I'm praying and I'm like, oh, she's not talking to me. And then I hear you in the, in the peach shirt. And I'm like, not talking to me. My shirt's coral. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you like and my neighbor elbows me and I open my eyes and there's probably it wasn't a huge service there's probably 200 people in the church but there's enough people that she's pointing at me from from across the room and I was pretty far back and she said you you know there's a desire that's burning on your heart right now there's something that you want to do so badly and you feel like you just don't know how and God wants you to know that it's time it's time to set down your fears. It's time to set down your baggage and just move into it. The favor of the Lord is upon you. Move into it. It's time to to let it go. Move into it. Right. And the third time she said, move into it, something broke in Mm. in me, not in a bad way, but it was like something. shifted, And I just started bawling. And it was like, I had perceived for years that there was this block above my head. And it was very specifically like a block above my head, which now of course, drawing on yogic traditions, I would say seventh or even eighth chakra blockage, right? Depends on what tradition you draw from, which is 
the connection to the divine, the awareness that we have access to the indwelling Holy Spirit, if you want to right. use whatever language. Sure. And that, that broke. And all of a sudden, I just knew that the only thing that had been standing in between me and, and loving God this way and serving God this way was myself and just my own perception of unworthiness. Yeah, um, so and true. that experience changed the entire course of my life. That's actually, that happened literally. I called my husband that night. I was like, this is what happened. I feel like I'm supposed to start my business. Mm. And he was like, okay, why don't you just sleep on it? My husband is not into, my <laughs> husband's church is the ocean. He's just surfing as his church. And he was like, okay, why don't you just sleep on it? And if you wake up with a yes, then like, we'll, we'll go for it. I prayed, I went to bed, I woke up and like the first word resounding in me was just yes. And so uh, that was literally the start of, of my business and of everything that I'm doing now was this word that was spoken over me. So wow. however you look at that, there's yeah. so much power in these charismatic experiences, right? In these, in these spiritual experiences. So I think what I want to know is like, people would say, is that real? And yeah. I don't think that's the right question, but do you think that there's power in that kind of experience and, and why? Yeah. Why does that Well, I've had life? similar experiences myself that are pretty much the anchors that keep me coming back to any sort of spirituality that we're mm -hmm. in charismatic experiences, falling out in the spirit, mm -hmm. speaking in tongues. That's mm -hmm. a phenomenon that still happens. Getting a tangible sense of a spirit from head to toe that was actually happening to me as you're sharing your story. Mm -hmm. And I'm like seeking that. the divine in your eyes while you're telling it, right? And like that. Oh, now it's on me, yay. <laughs> and that is, that is divine love. And that is wholeness and oneness with, mm -hmm. with God. And so for me, it's like, exactly the question is not is this real or not um, but in those settings and in those places the only issue that i have is that immediately things begin to um, can be manipulated can be manipulative can be uh control um and immediately there is a sense of now this person has some sort of dominance or authority over you if they gave mm -hmm. you that word and if you are connected they may want to try to steer you afterwards and in my opinion the whole idea of gospel or good news is liberation and freedom mm -hmm. and so that's the antithesis of that right if somebody is helping you feel liberated like what happened and then they come in and try to be some sort of manipulation and you know control authority figure then essentially they're they're acting in an antichrist way right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um but yeah I'm, I'm not sure if i'm i'm getting to the to you are tax of what <laughs> So, okay. So here, I want to hear when you moved out to California, you wanted to plant a church yeah. um, in your, in your little questionnaire that we have, it, it says it's, it crashed pretty quickly. I want to hear yeah. about the crash. What totally. Happened? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so just a little like, um, you know, pretext to that is just simply like I was in a place where um, I was really, um, really conservative in my theology about God and how people were quote saved and, mm -hmm. and had a lot of, uh, like I, there's still sermons on the internet. If you really want to find them of me preaching some, Oh, I'm totally going to go find them. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, they get better, but like, it was definitely like, I mean, really repulsive now as I look mm -hmm. back, you know what yeah. I mean? But that's just part of the journey. That's the trajectory. That's what it is. So um, I initially wanted a church plant because I had a, what I felt like was like a, a mandate from God that people were going to, 
uh, be separated from God for all of eternity if I wasn't going to live into this calling to go help bring some sort of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have certainly progressed past all of that. I'm, if you want to slap a title on me, it'd be you know Christian universalist for sure. Um, but at that time, it wasn't. So mission was completely connected to calling for uh, people's individual salvation, right? Mm-hmm. And so I moved to California, or I wanted to move out here because I had a unique experience and a unique vision, okay? So some not, you know, too different than what was happening in your experience. So Will you tell us about it? Yes. In 2013, I was here. Uh, I was in Anaheim, actually. So we came to San Diego. Uh, my wife, her sister and her brother-in-law lived in San Diego down in Point Loma. Um, and then... We were visiting before a conference for our movement. We drove up to Anaheim for the conference and I was outside and they had a youth tent area with, I don't know, a few thousand youth kids and worship. And then inside was where all the adulting was happening, right? So I went out to the youth tent for music because it was just way better. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, yeah, I was like, the vineyard is kind of stuck in 1980s still so it was like super lame cheesy like guitar solos and stuff and i'm like whatever so this was more like engaging interactive music at least in that time in 2013 i was still in a pretty conservative understanding in my theological understanding and i had a vision pop into my mind um which happened in, from time to time so it was familiar enough and i felt like god was calling me to be in southern california because he was I say he, I don't mean to say he, it's out of habit, but he, it's fine. He, it, universe, whatever you would mm-hmm. like to say, um, was calling me to be a part of a new, a new move, a new wave of God that was going to happen here in Southern California and impact essentially the whole world. And I had this mm-hmm. vision, you've been at the airport and you see like, if you're flying international, like the little plane with the little dots behind it or whatever, you can see where you're going, you know? And I just had this, this, vision of in Southern California was a hub and it was moving out and going to all the world, a Mm. newness and wave of the divine that was going to start here. So we came back from Anaheim. Um, and actually later that night too, somebody prayed for me and I began to like fall out in the Mm. spirit, uh, which is essentially like a tangible sensation of God, spirit, universe, whatever that is, it literally just feels like it's too much for my physical body. So my body just needs to kind of lay down, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the most like practical way I can say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I go back in 2013, I tell my dad, hey, I want to move to San Diego and start a church. It's like, well, that's great, but I kind of like need you here. Mm-hmm. And so from 2013 to 2016 was a process of me moving to San Diego. Now in that time was a major shift in my thinking about myself, about God, about everything. It was the quintessential like quote deconstruction time that started in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to revisit authors like Rob Bell who were considered heretics in my movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's kind of like PG compared to the stuff that I like, you know? Um, so I, I moved out here to plant the church, but it kind of shifted at that point. I actually looked at it as a, my only sort of, like get out of jail free card Mm -hmm. Um, because I had a quote distinct calling to be a pastor and a church leader, but 
nothing else is acceptable in the church world to go and move from your hometown, you know, other than starting a new faith community. Mm -hmm. So I kind of used that, you know, as a way out of my current situation that I was in to take over this church. Um, I moved to San Diego in March of 2016. We decided we landed in San Marcos. Um, you're familiar with it for sure. So mm -hmm. we moved right next to CSU in San Marcos mm -hmm. and uh, came out here. I literally, I, I had a home. I sold my house. Uh, I loaded up a moving truck. I had a couple of motorcycles I put in there and a car that we trailered. I drove out, and put you all had of our two, stuff. Two little babies then, right? Two little, little babies. So I had a six month old son and a daughter that just turned two. Um, and I had no job lined up. I had no apartment lined up. I didn't have anything at all planned out because seven life, Enneagram seven, right? So God bless your wife. God yeah. bless Lindsay. She's <laughs> a six too. <laughs> Uh, well, she's a six, she has a heavy seven wing, you know, mm -hmm. and she's a counterphobic six. If we want to rip on that, <laughs> if something scares her, she's going to like jump into it just because mm -hmm. she has to. So mm -hmm. it was certainly like fearful, but she's always like trusting me. We've been together since we were both 17 years old. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, wow. it's been, you know, definitely a, a wild ride for her. <laughs> But uh, I moved out here and dumped all my stuff and literally jumped on my motorcycle riding around town to find a job in an apartment. And, um, and I had like five days to do it before I flew back to get my family, you know. And whenever they, we all moved out here, I got a job. I was selling motorcycles in Vista and working dealership hours, which are very long. And after some time, I just became like, really dry. And I was like, man, I want to get out of sales because it's taking up my life. And I just thought, even though I'm in this deconstruction, even though I'm having a complete reshape and reshifting of who I think God is and what this all is. And mind you, I thought the church was just, a, I don't know if you can cuss on your podcast, you but bullshit. Yeah. it was just full of shit, man. And it was really fucked. So <laughs> I was like, I'm here trying to start perfect a time to start a church. <laughs> yeah, perfect time. I'm like, okay, like, yeah, I, I actually hate all things church. Why should I start one? Uh, but that's what I came here to do. We went back to visit for my sister's wedding in July. So we'd only lived here for a few months. I had a friend who played guitar and could sing and he was kind of involved in the church. And I was like, hey, man, I know you don't have a job and you live at your dad's house. And he was older than me even. So I'm like, why don't you like move out to San Diego and you do some worship, some music, I'll do some message. Let's just market the shit out of this thing and like get a church going, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so two weeks later, he's driving across the country in his 96 Honda Accord that he got from his grandma. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everything he owned in it, which was like two guitars and a computer, you know? Mm -hmm. And like literally four articles of clothing or something. And uh, we moved from a 2,100 square foot home to a 900 square foot apartment. Mm -hmm. And then my very large friend, <laughs> who's like 6'3 and like 280 pounds, comes moving into our living room. And we started in, uh, I quit my job and I was like going all in with starting this church. And I, I had to make it work mm -hmm. because I was essentially... I needed that for 
an income for a life. My whole training had been vocational ministry, you know, and as much as I wanted to like go into sales, I learned very quickly that I'm just not cut out for like 10 hour days on a sales floor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we started this church and I quit my job. We were handing out flyers and doing, you know, Facebook advertising and trying to get people to come. We rented the uh, little like uh, movie theater that was in my apartment complex, like lobby. And he did some worship. We invited some friends, about a dozen people came September. So 2016. So it's been a few years ago now. And it all went fine. And just like all of the classes that I've taken about starting a church, it was all on trajectory to become something really cool and really neat. Uh, except for I woke up the next morning after we've done a couple of these services and I just knew like deep in my soul, like, you know, this isn't right. You know, it's not the right time. And you're going to build something that you don't believe in if you're not mm -hmm. careful. And my friend was wanting to move back to Indiana anyways, for whatever obscure reason you would want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so he ended up moving back. We shut that church down and I went into probably from about October. So about this time, three years ago until February of 2017, just a really deep, dark depression. Mm -hmm. um, I was living on savings. I didn't have a job. I was literally wallowing in a dark apartment for months. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that really saved me essentially was connecting in meditation. Mm -hmm. So I began to start meditating in mid-January and really taking that seriously and contemplative prayer in the Christian tradition is what it would be called mm -hmm. and uh, centering prayer, a lot of Richard Rohr's mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I bought it, The Naked Now mm -hmm. and started reading that and I just had a complete paradigm shift as, and that's how Richard Rohr would define salvation, right? So I had a paradigm shift and I had a, a deep sense of connectivity that the divine never ever been removed from me. Mm. And he, she has always been there the whole time. As much of this depression and self-sabotage that I'm experiencing, that had not taken away from my acceptance or love or wholeness or anything the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and that's whenever I started the Spiritual Nomad podcast because I started venturing into then more of an Eastern understanding of spirituality from that point. So I was a late bloomer to a lot of Hinduism and uh, Buddhism and things of that nature. But, um, you know, Ram Das has been really integral for me. Um, a lot of the, the teachers and then obviously us being in North County, you know, Yogananda with mm -hmm. Self-Realization Fellowship in Encinitas. So, mm -hmm. um, but that was really my, my coming out here and utterly failing and, also being like wildly broke and burning through all my profits from my house sale and just really feeling like there's absolute, like there's nothing for me, you know? And um, it's just really bizarre to see now how things have turned around and I'm sitting in a church where I'm working at now, you know? <laughs> so it's like super far out, you know? Yeah. I have to say when you were speaking about the vision that you had in Anaheim, it was yeah. lit up head to toe chills. Mm. That vision is still coming, Luke. Mm. Like I love it's, it. it's still coming and it's just different than you thought. Um, yes. Yes. And that's really cool because it was like, like I was lit up with chills. I had tears in my eyes. Like it was like, yes, like that, that, um, 
that expansion, that going out from here and reaching all of these different people and places of the world. I mean, how, how old are you now? 30 something? So I am 29. I'll be 30 in November 2nd. What is a couple weeks away? So, okay. You probably have 50 more years (laughs) of like like figuring it out and serving planet and like how cool that is i mean when you yeah. look at like this is what has happened in three years like what could happen in 50 you know what i mean like yeah, oh my yeah. gosh like and we talk about these people you know like richard Rohr and like ram Dass and like these are spiritual leaders who were willing to walk in the way jesus walked who are totally. willing to say yep you know what what i know experientially in myself may not be what is acceptable in this doctrine or in this dogma or in this orthodoxy or in this box or in that building or whatever. Yeah. But I know it. Right. And that's what, that's what contemplative faith brings. And that's what meditation brings. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, as you started diving into uh, your meditation practice, first kind of what your there's so many different ways of meditating. So like, yeah. what did your meditation practice look like? And as things started to shift, um, what, what happened? How, how did you yeah. know that the meditation was, was working? So to speak, totally. air quotes. <laughs> well, uh, so really quick too, just on the age piece on that same Anaheim trip in 2013, I met with a, a leader from the East coast and explained to them my desire to, to start a church and plant the church. And he told me, Hey man, you're really young. You have a lot of time. And even kind of said, frankly, like not too many people are going to take a mid 20 year old pastor seriously. <laughs> so, and he told me he was part of a, a church called Hillsong. They do a lot of like, Oh yeah. Stuff. Hillsong's huge. Yeah. So he was part of like Hillsong, New York's church plant and stuff. And he said, Hey, one of my mentors told me that your twenties is just like, if you think it's just a runway to like lift off your life at 30 Mm -hmm. and you just do everything, explore, experiment, whatever, nothing matters. Just, you know, figure it out and you'll have some sort of trajectory with 30 comes. And now I'm like 10 days away from 30 or whatever, or, you know, a little bit more than that. But at any rate, I'm approaching 30 and I'm like, he was so right. And it's this full circle thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the meditation, uh, for me, it was just a very simple mindfulness piece at first. Uh, kind of the most stereotypical, like when you're at the checkout line and some magazine says like meditation, you know, and it's like very just like, oh, just if a thought comes into your mind, release it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just like sitting and breathing and yeah, watching your thoughts. Just watching Basically. your thoughts. Very, I mean, grassroots, just, I mean, elementary meditation right and what happened though the way that i knew that it was true is that i realized all of these thoughts all of these things are is is my ego this is the false self this is the projections of me these are not realities or even truths Mm -hmm. and as i begin to allow those to like i i always give the illustration of if i'm sitting by a river I'm just observing the things that are flowing down. I'm observing the water flow down. If I see a leaf, I observe the leaf flow down the river. And I just began to do that with all of my hopes and dreams and expectations and financial situation and just allowing that to release and to be gone. And what I sensed was what I not at that point had experienced in a long time. And it's exactly what we've been talking about in this 
chat is like this lighting up feeling, this tangible spirit of God feeling that we get that almost feels like only way I can explain it, it's like a cold chill throughout your whole body, but it's distinctively different than a cold chill, you know? Mm -hmm. And for the first time in years, uh, I had not felt that in a long time because I'd really gotten away from any sort of Holy Spirit stuff. Mm -hmm. And once I got down and understood that the true self is still down there, the day that I had a realization that Christ is deep in me, mm -hmm. like everything from head to toe just came alive. Mm. And I was like, oh man, like mm. this is it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, essentially it's like, what I've been looking for is who I've always been. It's just all like the shit I've dumped on top of it and uh, you know, illusions essentially. Um, so I realized that Christ in me is actually the hope of glory to use a, a Pauline phrase. And that that is any sort of hope for, glory in our life. Those are very, you know, Elizabethan feeling terms now at this point, but any sort of hope that we have or any sort of feeling of fullness and alignment that we have is only after the realization and recognition of the deep Christ that is inherent to everything, everyone, everywhere, all the time. Um, and that's what meditation did for me. It awakened me back to, to that true essence of who I am, you know? Yeah, so I want to I want to talk about and ask about some of the the more challenging questions. And the reason is I know that there are still are a lot of my listeners who are in their relationship with Jesus in a way that uh, where some of the stuff is pushing the envelope or is um, yeah maybe activates a little bit of fear or a little bit of discomfort. One of the things for me that's been true basically throughout my uh, coming to Jesus, like exploration of faith and spirituality that I've always really struggled with was the exclusionary principle of Christ. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is um, the, uh, the only way to the father is through Jesus, right? Now, part yeah. of the reason that that was hard for me is as I started studying Vedanta when I was, you know, I started studying yoga when I was 17. I, I had the salvation experience with Jesus at 21. And then since then, it's just been this ongoing process of trying to reconcile this uh, non-dual perspective of Vedanta in which if like, if you're like, what is Vedanta? I don't know what that means. Um, it's a philosophy in which all roads lead to the mountaintop, if you will, yeah. right? Like yeah. there's no wrong path to access the divine because ultimately there's only oneness. There's only yep. one, there's a singularity and the singularity is God and is yes. the foundation of all being and is us and blah, 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 right? Then there's, within the Christian tradition, there's very much duality, right? There's yes. us and there's God and God is holy, which means set apart. And, yep. and the bridge is Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to have this acceptance of of a man who was fully man and fully God. And when we say, okay, yep, I believe you are the only way, then we're okay. And mm -hmm. then we, right. So the exclusionary principle never worked for me and it, and yeah. that, and then the principle of hell, it never worked for me. I, I was yeah. never able to get on board with the idea that my husband, for example, is going to hell. Right. right. And even before we got married, his father, who is really strong Baptist, his dad and stepmom sat us down and said, um, 
you know, why are you going to marry him to me? You're unequally yoked. Did yeah. you know that? And I was like, so pissed, Luke. I was like, check it out. I'll go wherever he's going. Like I'll yoke myself to him yeah. and we'll go wherever we're going together. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Never mind that like th- scripturally, like from a theological perspective, he's sanctified through me. If I'm a believer, whatever, all totally. of that aside, I was like, how rude. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think the question that I'm getting to is like, for those who are still in, and I, that sounds condescending for those who, who right now are fully in belief that Jesus is the only way and that, um, you know, we're at risk, uh, you know, we're, yeah. we've fallen away and, and we're also leading others astray. How do you with compassion speak to that person? Yeah. Asking for a friend, JK, yeah. asking for myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really hard because, um, and I'm only speaking from experience, any sort of compassion usually is not reciprocated in those settings. Um, it's, it becomes a, for instance, um, I had a altercation with my dad who as now you've caught on is a pastor and a firm believer and got saved in the Jesus people movement back in the seventies, which is really interesting if you ever want to Google that. And uh, he was in Hollywood, California with his cousin and had a unique salvation experience. Right. Um, and so he's like deeply committed his life to getting people to come to a sense of salvation through Jesus being the only way. He's winning souls. Exactly. Winning souls. More jewels with, in the crown in heaven. Yes. With every eye bowed and every, every, every eye bowed, with every eye closed and every head bowed, you know, raise your hand and I see you in the back and you know, and it's just, it's, yeah, so I get it. So I had an altercation with my dad. I was on the phone with him after the church plant didn't go well, and I was trying to figure out my life and all of this. And I started the podcast, and word got back to my dad um, that through the telephone game that um, I said that the Apostle Paul was full of shit. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, well, I, I mean, A, when you're speaking and communicating, there's always things that you know, are missed in translation. And maybe you're saying something you don't really mean to say. And I said, but be assured, I do think at times Paul was full of shit. (laughs) And um, he was, he was a Pharisee trying to work out his own demons, right? So at any rate, that's another conversation another time. But he, uh, we then got into a conversation then about Jesus and and the Christ and, you know, and he, we got in a a pretty heated, uh, argument. And then finally, I just said like, Hey, like, regardless of what we think about all of this theologically and what we think about God, like I'm your son and like, you're hurting my feelings right now. Like Mm -hmm. this is not acceptable to like talk to me like this, you know, cause he was just very, you know, gritting teeth essentially over the phone. If you could see that sort of thing. And he was said, well, you know, I'm sorry, but I've built my life around this truth. Oh, that's what it is. I said that substitutionary atonement theory, and the only thing that that means is that when Christ died and Jesus died on the cross, his blood paid a debt for our sins, that God essentially thinks that all human beings suck and they need to go to hell unless Jesus quote, blood can cover their debt, right? And I said, that's a theory. It rests on the principle of our brokenness and inherent sin, right? Which that's a whole different conversation. Different conversation, different time. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I believe in original blessing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so 
essentially I, I started talking about that. And to him, I was defiling his whole belief system of Jesus having to be the only way for me to, for God to look at me, not uh, to look at me as worthy and acceptable. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I began to go to more of the compassionate side and just say, Hey, like, I think we should probably take a breath and like, just talk about this. And he was essentially like, no, like this is it for me. I tell that story because sometimes the people that are the most uh, connected to us in our life that hold deep convictions are sometimes going to be the most difficult people to uh, give compassion to and receive that. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever people still have that sense, I tell them for you, that is, that's, that's right. I mean, if, if you believe that Jesus is the only way and you believe that his blood seems kind of barbaric, but that his blood is the only thing that will make you holy and right, like I will respect you enough to, to hold to that and to keep that. Um, and, you know, I, I really am a firm believer in Paul saying of, cause he wasn't completely full of shit, but you know, as long as you, as long as it depends on you live at peace with all people. Mm -hmm. And so if, if me, and I think that the gospel is freedom and liberation, you can be freed and liberated to believe that. And for, if you're a listener that is listening to this, then I think that if that brings you the most wholeness and peace, that's absolutely fine. Uh, the problem that I have now is with the proselytizing that comes after that conviction, mm -hmm, right? Because mm -hmm. now there's a sense that I have to believe that too, mm -hmm. based on your consensus of what this old book is saying that was put together by a bunch of just, you know, authority hungry, you know, politicians. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, so... Well, and that's, I want to comment on that because that's really important it is this conversation around the authority of scripture, right? Like, and totally. that's often the central argument. Um, and I'll just share, you know, with great respect that I live right next to a church. It's mm -hmm. a church that moved in July of last year. We moved in this, around the same time. They moved in a couple of weeks after. And I had been praying for a home church. Literally, yeah. those are my words. God send me a home church. You still have that like Christian thing deep yep. down in there. <laughs> in there. And I'd been praying for it. Well, this was, I was in the spirit led yoga. I was teaching that 200 hour training. My partner in that was very, she was really very conservative. And, and, yeah. and, and it, and it was, I was, I was doing a lot. I was, I was in an experience of idolatry. I'm going to be honest of her, making her in a sense, like above me, like a God, you know yeah, what I mean? And her, totally. and, 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 and I'm not good enough or I don't know or whatever. So anyway, I've been praying for a home church. This church moves in. Literally. I live, I live in the pastor's house and I rent it separately from the church. Right? <laughs> so far out that you're in the parsonage of a church. And <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, li I'm looking at the church right now. So anyway, it's I attended so this church for about six months after I um, came home from my spirit led yoga training. And after I, I did that training, much like after you want, uh, planted your church, I went into a really deep depression. And it was this sense of like, okay, that wasn't it. You know what I mean? I thought that that was it and that wasn't it. And, and I was being told that I'm a heretic and that I'm leading people that, you know, that I'm consorting with demons and all of this stuff. And I was like, that sucks, you know, cause I know I'm not like, I right. just, but uh, whatever, like, that's what you think. So, okay. So I came home and I was like, 
please God, just anything but a Baptist church, just <laughs> not Baptist. Anything else is fine. I'll take it. <laughs> so anyway, I come home and there's this church next door. And sure enough, they're affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. And, <laughs> and uh, so I started going to church because I love to worship. I just love to sing. You know what I mean? Like, I just, yeah. I just want to, I just want to worship. Like that's very yes. meaningful to me. Yes. And I experience God in that. And and yes. and there's other traditions. Like you look at Kundalini Yoga and the nod, the essence of all sound, vibration, is the foundation of all things. It makes sense that we're more in musical vibration, that we feel God. Like it makes sense. But anyway, yeah. I digress. So I joined the church. I became a member of the church. <laughs> when was this? A year ago? Yeah, less. Oh my gosh. So I became a member of the church and I go for about <laughs> six months. And Christmas Eve, last October, I was at a women's retreat. It was my 33rd birthday. And I set the intention on my 33rd birthday for integration. And I said mm -hmm. this prayer, God, I want, I want integration. Mm -hmm. I want to integrate the divine masculine and divine feminine. I want to integrate everything I've learned so far. And I didn't even really know what I was praying for, but this was what I was praying for is integration. And this was probably a month before I found you on social media. Yeah. And uh, I had this incredibly powerful divine feminine experience. And what that looked like for me was being surrounded by 10 women sitting around a bonfire, spontaneous song erupting from us that was ancestral, that felt, and I have Holy Spirit on me as I say this, that me felt too. so <laughs> true and so real. And um, I'm just crying and I'm digging my fingers into the earth and into the grass and apologizing to the mother because I was like, I have neglected mm. you and I have not... I'm so in love with the father. I'm so in love with, you know, with, with, with God, the father, and I've just neglected you. And to me, the Holy spirit is a much more feminine energy, yes. right? Yes. Um, and even the old pronouns for the Holy spirit were feminine pronouns. If yes. you look at the, the oldest text. So you're on to it. You already know. Uh, right. So okay. I'm like, so I'm, I'm in this prayer and I have this experience and it's like divine feminine awakening basically. And after that, it was like my world, my, 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 theological framework and my religious framework just kind of shattered like it was like oh shit right like uh, um what about the women right yeah. what about the women and then that undid kind of that undid genesis for me like i was like uh i don't know it undid the symbology it undid this idea about the serpent like all of this stuff just started kind of coming apart and i and deconstructing and i was like okay, everything's unraveling. <laughs> like, you know I mean? like, am I losing my mind? Is this wrong? And so somehow I knew, like, I had this feeling of like, the mo what's considered the most demonic yoga is kundalini yoga, right? Yeah. But I got this sense of kundalini yoga is also one that embraces most of the, the most feminine energy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's this correlation between in charismatic churches, um, you know, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, it looks a lot like Kundalini awakening, right? There's yes. these parallels that are drawn. And so, oh, man, there's so much we can talk about. about so that. much, right? <laughs> so I was like, oh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to have another chat. But, um, so I prayed about it and I felt like God was like, yep, go to Kundalini yoga. And I was like, this is crazy. That's the one kind of tradition that I've really avoided. I've been studying yoga for 17 years, but fine, I'll go. So I went probably like on your birthday last year, like around early yeah. November last year, I went to a Kundalini yoga class and I prayed before I went and I said, God, if this is important, if this is something you want me to, to know about, just make it clear. And in the Shavasana, the relaxation of that class, 
I had Holy Spirit on me for like five minutes, like full body chills up and down, mm. releasing, sobbing, crying, like just felt the presence of God so abundantly. And it was like the most loving, nurturing, like, yeah, there's something here for you. You know yeah. what I mean? And I was like, okay, cool. So that changed something in me. And, and within about two months, I could no longer attend church. Um, right. and, and it was part of that was I started reading, uh, I read Sue Monk kid's book called the dance of the dissident daughter. And she talks about, mm -hmm. you know, leaving the Baptist, her dad was a Baptist minister and her husband was a Baptist minister. And she talked about leaving that and then exploring, uh, representations of, uh, of divine feminine cultures in which there was an image O'Day that was feminine. And yeah. most of those are very old, but like sort of reading her book and reading, you know, some other, um, heretical <laughs> of other people they're the best too you know right? people say and you're on a slippery slope and i'm like but slippery slopes are so much fun i know i'm I just mean, like a little on. penguin on its belly just sliding down the ice just so have a good who, who is not smiling when they're sledding uh. right <laughs> and so my pastor who's a lovely lovely man the pastor of this church you know kind of kept gently reaching out like hey where are you what's going on why aren't yeah. you coming to church and i eventually had to say to him um I was like, I'm not going to come, I'm not going to be there for a while. And I said, I'm working through some stuff in my own faith and it's just not a good fit for me to be there right now. And he let that lie for a little while. And then one day we ran into each other in the yard because I live here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he was like, what's going on? And I was just in a mood that day. And I just let it all, I just let it all out. And I was like, here's the thing. I think that Western Christianity is an instrument of oppression and has been systematically used to oppress the gays and the women and the people of color. And it's also like, really enmeshed with like harmful capitalism in ways that I just think are actually not at all what Jesus intended. And, basically, and we've not even gotten into the Baptist part of that yet. You know? Basically, I just think it's all a bunch of shit. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and his face just like went kind of white and big eyes. And he was like, so maybe I could like take you to Starbucks and we could like talk about it. And I was like, I really appreciate that. I was like, right now I'm also working through you know, the, this gets into a whole nother can of worms, but the man who led me to Christ, uh, you know, we use that term, was married to another woman, was involved with me in a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship, got mm. me pregnant, told me God told him I should have an abortion. So I did psychologically manipulated me for multiple years and essentially also encouraged me to date other men for money to support him financially, which was a whole backwards thing because he had a gambling addiction. So what? I have a massive amount of sexual trauma that's enmeshed with spiritual abuse. Yeah. And that all came to a head with this divine feminine uprising. And I was like, yeah, I just can't right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was wow. like, I just can't right now and it's a bit complicated but like no you know yeah. what i mean and uh i think you're great the church is fine i have no problem with you no one there did anything wrong to me but it's not gonna work for me right yeah and it's like that's just a that's just a lot but i mean there is a lot there are two thousand years of misuse of yeah this incredible teacher's teachings um, yeah. that have, it's harmed a lot of people, harmed yeah. a lot of people. So what yeah. I want to know from you, because now you're in this office, you're sitting in an office at a church and you do spiritual counseling. And one of the things that you 
have worked or working through in yourself is healing from systemic religious abuse. And I'm, I'm interested in that because I think I'm doing that too. Um, for anyone who found themselves in any part of your story or in any part of what I just shared, where can they start when they yeah. feel like there's nowhere that they can go and they can't go to church anymore, but they're just alone. Then they're just alone. Right. Like, where do we go? Cause that's why I'm like, yeah. you, you know, like, I don't want to use the word obsessed with you because that's too strong of a word, but got so excited about our friendship because I was like, oh my gosh, here's somebody else, a yes. real person near me who's having a similar experience. And like, I'm so thankful for that. So how yeah. can we help these people? Well, and that's, that's kind of like the, the problem I'm trying to solve in the world, right? Because the term spiritual no man, um, I didn't know if that was a term. I don't know if it's a term at all. Um, whenever I was church planting, and I was talking to different leaders who would check in on me. They'd say, so who are the people that you're feeling called to, right? Very, you know, mm -hmm. church denominational language, right? And I'm like, you know what? Like the only term that I can use for the people that I connect most with are people who seem like spiritual nomads. And what I mean by that is that they maybe have been in church, maybe haven't been in church. They feel some sort of connection to God or universe or whatever. Uh, but they're a nomad. They're by themselves, seemingly wandering around, trying to put together uh, or pick up on some sort of trail in the wilderness, right? Um, and I just feel like I was connecting with people who are spiritual and deeply connected to the divine, just independently spread out everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so for people, you know, like me, I was in that situation too. You know, I'm a failed church planter. I only knew a handful of people moving out here. My only other family that I have is like in Laguna Beach. So, I mean, it's not far, but not close, you know, and it's like, what do I do? Um, for me, like it really began with, um, and not to sound too spiritual about it, but like before I could have any sort of true connection or before like the universe opened up any doors for any connections with other people, it first began with a, uh, a reimagining of God in my life and a connecting there first. And it depends on people's personality, how that's gonna work for them best. Um, but for me, especially if someone's feeling isolated in their spiritual journey or have dealt with problems in church, um, we tend to run back to the things that, once we've experienced liberation and freedom, we tend to just run back to other forms of oppression, just with a different shade of it, right? And so the thing is, whenever people are in a vulnerable place, um, really trying to develop some sort of practice to get down to an identity piece, like what I was talking about, it wasn't until I was really awakened to the deep Christ in me that I was able to have a discerning heart and mind, if you will, mm -hmm. to know who I should begin the journey with. Mm -hmm. um, because we can really easily uh, put ourselves in some not, uh, not life-giving situations with people. Um, so if people are wandering around, I would say like, man, well, first of all, you're listening to this podcast mm -hmm. and Yay. you know, <laughs> you, you have people like us, you know, if speaking to the listener, uh, to reach out to, I literally get at least one to three to five DMS a day, just from people. Hey, I went through this experience. Um, you know, I like a lot what you said too, there's a lot of people and I was a youth pastor. And so it doesn't look great on me, but they're like, Hey, my youth pastor, you know, sexually assaulted me or, you know, and it's like, 
there's so much going on right now and really just reaching out to people that you sense a sort of security and safety with, um, you know, and only time will tell if that, that it's a true secure and safe, trustworthy individual. But uh, first of all, connecting to the divine yourself and then reaching out to people who have some sort of track record of, you know, being there for other people. You know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, I guess that's how, I, I don't know, you tell me, was that helpful for when you started following some of my stuff? Like, what, Oh yeah, it was super was helpful. It was super helpful. I mean, I think I had just found something, you know, one of the girls, there was, there was one girl who took my 200 hour spirit led yoga training and she's actually the one who referred me to Richard Rohr. And she was the one sitting in the front row or the second row every time I was teaching, who was just nodding and seeing the parallels and understanding yeah. was like, yes, this is amazing. Like, and, and that was enough. You know what I mean? One person being like, yeah, I get it was enough because I had really wanted to teach these, par these parallels that I was finding, you know, and the fact that these, these are not mutually exclusive. Like you yeah. can practice and explore yoga philosophy and you can, you can abide in Christ and they can go together. Right. Um, and I, yeah. I believe that still. Um, and then when I found, but I, but, and she was, you know, she was my student. She lives in Florida and it was kind of just, she referred me to read Richard Rohr. And I did, I started to subscribe to his newsletter and I, I bought, um, one of his books. And then I don't know how I found you. I have no idea. It truly, I was just, I have no idea. Like maybe it was a hashtag. Like, I don't know. I yeah. really don't know. Um, and it was on social media and it was just like, I saw a post and I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like here's someone talking about, about God in the way that I'm like thinking about God. And it was so affirming yeah. and it was so, like you said, life-giving. And, and yeah. I think that's, really important because you know like you said it's very easy especially when we're seeking to attach to a particular person um and kind of think well they know and mm -hmm. i don't know right yeah. and the truth is that you do know yes we all know right we all have an inner knowing and it comes yeah. from a place of deep listening and mm -hmm. when yes. you can access your way of deep listening which might be for my husband surfing like he yeah. has deep listening in the ocean other people have deep listening walking in nature other people can sit in just silence in their own living room and go into deep listening um others like mother Teresa, maybe she found her deep listening in in actively serving and helping other people right doesn't yeah. necessarily mean sitting in silence but I do want to speak to anyone who is feeling, who is either, you know, stepped away from the church or is feeling alone in the church or is feeling like God is punitive and is punishing you or feeling like you're going to be punished or you're going to go to hell or you're go whatever. If you're feeling like you're vibing with anything that we're throwing down, please know that you're not alone Yeah. Um, and that you're not wrong. Like yes. there's nothing wrong with you. You're That's not broken. That's the biggest thing, man, is people trying to you know they have this this sense and this feeling that they're unworthy they're not enough and because that is what western christianity sells you mm -hmm. is that is their way of getting it uh getting the sale of salvation is if they can convince you that you are wrong that you are deeply uh despicable in the eyes of god and once you're you're given this whole you know 
bullshit line of unworthiness, the sale of salvation becomes way easy because you're like, but I have the ticket for you, my friend, and you picked the right day. Come on down to the front and you, and you've completely <laughs> worked them. You've worked them and manipulated them for that to happen. And so for those that have had that sort of experience, um, I mean, I just want to say, I'm sorry that they had that experience, that you had that experience and that really it, there is a, a hopeful road of healing though that happens. And there are other people that are out there and you're not wrong and you're not despicable and you're not a, you know, and I've had to tell a lot of this to people, even, you know, in the LBGTQ community as well, because it's like, you are not an abomination in the sight of the Lord. You're not. You're a human living, you used the term imagio Dei earlier, which just means in the image of God. And that is enough. And I love Richard Rohr and Naked Now saying that every single person has this Holy Spirit within them. It's just, are they aware of it? You know, and um, that's, that's all I'm trying to do is, is help. The problem I'm helping to solve is that people have covered up a true self uh, the Christ in them with a false self or ego or a enemy or devil or whatever, you know, mythological, you know, thing you want to put on it. They've covered that up and they have, because of that has been forced into a sense of isolation. Um, and whenever they realize that they don't want to put up with that anymore and um, trying to create a sense of community around wholeness and, and love is what I want to try to do. And that's what you're it's doing. What, it's what you are doing. Yeah. yeah. And I will say this, thank you for your, for your apology. And also one of the most profound things that I realized about my own relationship with Jesus was that I was in a place where I deeply needed forgiveness. I needed yeah. to forgive myself, yeah. but that was not accessible to, for me to forgive myself was not available at that time. So the fact mm -hmm. that I could receive forgiveness from outside of myself was was what I needed. And yeah. so even as I look back on it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything because I needed, I, it met a need in me. You know, when we talk about healing trauma, whatever your coping mechanisms are, you don't have to villainize them. They're totally. serving a need, right? Like right. they're doing, they're working for you in that moment. Right. And yeah. in that moment, Jesus's forgiveness, the blood of Christ, me being able to be white as snow, that was working for me. That's what I needed. Cause I was like, yeah. I am way too fucked up. There's no way I'm going to be able to fix myself so I can get it here. fast, the fast, fast. And, uh, yeah. and that works, you know what I mean? And so I don't want to, I hope that for everybody listening, that you also know that we are, we are not in any way negating or denying or, um, or mocking your deep and true and real experiences yeah. of salvation or of kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Um, all of that is like celebrated here. Like, yes, yeah. yes to all of it. Um, oh my God. It has to be built yeah. first. If I could even say like, and that recognizing all of that, all of the pieces that, you know, you wouldn't go back and change anything. And even, you know, to piggyback on Richard Rohr again, to in order to analyze something or take something apart means something has to be put together in the first place, mm -hmm. right? And so for many of us, that is deeply formative to our story. And even though it's painful and you know has been hurtful in the past, as we see, all of that makes the individual that is us. Mm -hmm. And embracing all of those pieces, both light and dark, 
make the wholeness of who we are. And so I'm in no way, definitely not telling people that their experience was wrong or they shouldn't have had that or anything, but rather to accept that and embrace that as they understand a more expansive view of themselves and of God. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we wouldn't be able to have an expansive view if we ever had a limiting view. And I'm not saying others have, I'm maybe speaking for us, right? Mm -hmm. But we've had maybe more of a limiting view. And the only reason we're aware that it's limiting (laughs) is because those things happen, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, you can't, it's like, you can't know that the box is too small unless you climb into it and try to live there. And then you're exactly. like, this isn't very comfortable. This is a really small box. I mean, right. You can't break out of something that, you know, if you're not already in that and living into it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, people, and if people are still in a very Christian or Jesus only um, sort of framework, um, I think that that's a totally fine place to be. And I don't know if I even answered your question earlier about that being the only way, but uh, I just would ask that people would begin to do some searching and see a more broader understanding of God that goes beyond any sort of time period, you know, 2000 years ago or any people group, i.e. Hebrew people, you know, like mm-hmm. zooming out farther will always widen the lens of who is included. And I would say, once you zoom out far enough, you'll see that's everyone, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, That's, but it's steps, it's steps of getting there and it's, you know, it's pieces of the puzzle that people slowly put together. So, and I've not put them all together yet. So, <laughs> well, we'll keep working on the puzzle. So Luke, for anyone listening who is like, I love this, I'm fascinated. I want to learn more, dive in, chew on this a little bit. We like to share a book club, book club pick every week. So is there something that you can recommend that was transformative for you in terms of reading? I know you've shared The Naked Now a couple of times, Richard Rohr. Is that the yeah. one you would recommend or is there something else, a good place for people to start? Um, I, I'll probably recommend two books that I think are classics, depending on where people are at in their journey. Uh, the first um, that I think would probably be best to even come before Richard Rohr. Uh, if people are still uh, in a church setting or f- they've come from that uh, perspective, uh, I would recommend Rob Bell's book, uh, Love Wins. I think that book is really helpful in opening up some of the big questions and kind of giving people that first step to a more, um, I like to use the term, expansive theology, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Love Wins is that. Uh, if you're still in a more conservative church, don't mention the name Rob Bell if you still want to be involved in that church. <laughs> but in your own time on your Kindle or whatever, uh, I would read Love Wins. It addresses a lot of things and it's mostly just posing a question. One main one being like, you know, if God is truly all loving, could there really be a hell, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a big one for people, um, which I do not ascribe to that theology uh, at all. But um, it's a good, helpful piece for that. Secondly, I would move on to The Naked Now by Richard Rohr. Um, because in that book, I, I think it's really helping us awaken to more of a sense of oneness. And I would say if people are more still uh, in a church setting, I would argue that's exactly what Jesus was after. The, in John 17, I promise I won't preach, but I'm just just quick tidbit. John 17, Jesus' prayer uh, ultimately ended. It's a long prayer. The third portion of that is that every single person would be connected to the father as Jesus is connected to the father. That it's not a through Jesus. It's not us, Jesus, God, but rather an equality 
And Jesus says, you'll do even greater things than me. How can you do that unless you have equality? He even says, I now call you brothers and sisters. That's a sort of equality in the quote kingdom of God, right? So the whole purpose of the Christian narrative, I think is oneness with the divine. And we call that father. That doesn't mean an actual cosmic male dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just means that it's this more of an imagery view of this originator of all things in the world. And so that we would walk into a, in union and in step with the divine. Um, so that's what Richard Rohr's book, I think that's what I got from it. It affirmed John 17, Jesus hoped that we would all be one with God. So mm-hmm. love wins and the naked now. I'm for it, man. I'm for it. I think two, the two, you know, when I'm cherry picking my scripture, when I'm talking to people, the two that I often really, I do share, um, is that when Jesus says I and my father are one, like I do believe that he's speaking to non-duality, right? And then also greater things than these you will do. And that is, it's a declaration of our access to connection And to authority, and I don't mean authority over other people. I mean, this spiritual authority that's inherent within us to to figure out your hotline. You know what I mean? To figure out what you're connected to. It's so beautiful. So Luke, I am so grateful to you for the role that you've played in my life and helping helping move me towards that freedom, right? And I'm I'm so, so thankful for you sharing uh, your story and your gifts. And if people want to connect with you further, they can come and visit you on the web at thespiritualnomad.org. Is that correct? Mm, Correct. Um, Or hit them up on Instagram. Like you said, his DMs are open, the underscore spiritual underscore nomad. Um, And listen to his podcast, you guys. There are some incredible episodes uh, on there that, that just, I... I'm a huge fan. So go listen to the Spiritual Nomad podcast. Luke also offers spiritual coaching. Um, if something that you heard today, you know, activated something in you and you feel like you need a deeper connection or someone to talk to, please hit him up. He's also available for speaking engagements. And you have some really exciting stuff coming out in 2020 um, about uh, the about deconstructing, right? You're, you're doing the Deconstructionist Guide to Wholeness, which mm-hmm. is going to be a really cool ebook. Um, and also possibly putting together some opportunities for people to connect in real time, digitally, no matter where you are in the world, to be able to dive into this stuff together. Yep. Yeah, cool. That's exactly what it's about. Yeah, so thank you so much for continuing to create community. Um, I'm coming to church. I'll hit you up about that. (laughs) Where where is church? I'm coming. Three Um, blocks away from you is church. Uh, thank you again for your time and um and just for who you are for the work that you're doing in the world i appreciate you thank you so much it's really meaningful thank you yeah we'll see you guys in the next episode thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of totally stoked podcast if you love this episode if it impacted you in some way please grab a screenshot and share it right now to instagram stories Tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.